Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! A random piece of music to kick us off, or is it? Because for some fucking reason, everything on today's show is going to be tied to Stephen Lang. Yes, Stephen Lang, that... Badass military guy from Avatar with the claw scars on his face. What is going on here, Ben? Well, it all came out because who's who's the interview subject for this for this episode? <laughs> well, we've got um, uh, Fidi Alvarez and Roto Cieguez. Right, and they made a movie, a sequel to uh, Lights Out. Right? No, don't breathe. <laughs> don't breathe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew I always get those two mixed up, and I knew I was going to say the wrong one. <laughs> But don't breathe. Don't breathe. Star Stephen Lang. Yes, correct. I'm not correct. wrong about that. He's in the right. <laughs> line. They're both. They're practically the same movie. Come on. <laughs> don't breathe and lights out. What? No, they're not at all. <laughs> Aren't they both? Don't they both have to do with uh, people stumbling around in the dark? Let's just say sensory deprivation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, fine. Well, all right, all right. the music, I'll, in I'll case people that. are wondering, is called um, There Will Never Be Another You from the movie <laughs> Another You, which Stephen Lang was in. So there's my there's my one degree of separation. <laughs> because, yes, this is our six degrees of uh, separation from Stephen Lang episode. So why? Well, it's a good question. I don't know. Just why not? <laughs> we look for the most tenuous, tenuous links to the interviews that you randomly get. <laughs> No. <laughs> we have to somehow tie it into like you know Fetty Alvarez has I don't think he's maybe he has but I don't really think he's done enough films for all of us to be able to cover three or four correct suffice to say this is yeah. probably going to be the trickiest episode we have done to date um because I'm I'm not yep. very good at guessing things <laughs> yeah me neither the idea behind the films that we talk about in this episode is that we talk about any, it can be any film, any film at all, but you have to be able to link it in six steps or less to Stephen Lang. That is the only, that is, it's like, the, it's the Kevin Bacon game, but with Stephen Lang. And when you look at Stephen Lang's filmography, like when we were talking about this during this, uh, during the week, Glenn, you messaged me a couple of times with, I can't believe Stephen Lang was in this. I didn't realize that. Like he, <laughs> as a young man, he was not up this the muscle bound kind of, hunk of meat that he becomes in Avatar. He was a chubby little nerd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was just, he popped up in random things. Like, he was a, a jobbing actor. And I don't even think now, I don't even think, looking at his filmography in more recent years, he's not the most uh, discerning. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you pay my fee, I'm in it. Well, let me uh, let me do the formalities and welcome everybody to Good Movie Monday. This is the weekly movie show presented by FakeShemp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. I'm your host, Glenn Cochran, the guy who usually inserts a gag right here, but I can't think of any today. And my co-host is Ben Helwig and the same applies. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah. You know, a bit frazzled, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. 
it's a it's a uh, early Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. joining us again is our now regular co-co-host Samantha Housen, who likes to pop in every few episodes and impart her words of wisdom upon us. How are you, Sam? Oh, words of wisdom. Wow, that that's just roll with it. That's a far reach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. I offer this stuff up. Just grab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Well, so on this show, uh, we, and by we, I mean I, have a tendency to butcher people's surnames, and I've, I've already had one attempt, but we are going to have a conversation with two people who I'm inevitably going to get wrong at some point in the show. They are <laughs> Fidi Alvarez and Rodo Cieguez, who are the writer-director team behind movies like Evil Dead, Don't Breathe, and Girl in the Spider's Web. <laughs> and lights out. <laughs> And they are currently they are currently promoting their latest film, Don't Breathe Two, and they're going to be talking all about that really soon. Um, and we're going to, as we said, feature a whole lot of movie recommendations mm. that are tied to Stephen Lang in six degrees or less. <sighs> so <laughs> I'm exhausted already. It's going to be confusing. <laughs> I suspect there's going to be a lot more awkward moments coming up. Lots of silence. Should I cue some like thinking music, maybe? Yeah, we need some dun, some Jeopardy. Jeopardy, music. yeah, I was gonna say Jeopardy. Have, Jeopardy. I have a funny feeling there's gonna be a lot of um editing on this show because there'll be lots of five minute <laughs> awkwardness conversations of trying to figure out one degree to another. Let's see. You got to work it out. It's like um, well, the, the like the like any of the quiz shows where they they get the contestants to to think of the answers out loud. Like you have to do your thinking out loud, <laughs> mm. like hot seat and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, well, well, I think he was in blah 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 with. <laughs> And no one can see that we've got IMDb open. Yeah, exactly. We have the upper Well, hand. I don't. I, I really should. I've got too many other things open on my screen. I'm fucked. <laughs> but if you are here for our other weekly contributors and their segments, then we've got you covered too. Jarrett Garn from Monster Pictures will be up in a minute. Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm is going to bring you the movie news. Adam Ross from Triple M will do his best to recommend a movie in the spirit of today's themes. And the guys from Bonehead Weekly will drop in with their funny American accents a little bit later. Chloe is still away, um, but we're going to be playing a genuinely what-the-fuck moment from her show, Movie Night with the Richie Girls, which she hosts with her mother, Kate. All in all, uh, we've got a good show in our hands. Uh, who the fuck knows where it's going to go from here? So what have you two been up to over the last week? <laughs> <laughs> ben, you were on Up Late with myself and Chloe on Wednesday. I was on Up Late. Uh, we, we did our best to defend Hubie Halloween. How do you think we went? I Look, I don't think we went that well. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did great. Like I yeah like I know like I mean she did go Chloe did go from absolute piece of shit to I did I laughed a couple of times, but that is a, that, that's that's yeah that's pretty small good. victories that's, mate that's yeah. A, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I mean yeah if that's your idea of a win then yeah we won <laughs> uh, for me it's complete surrender and yes okay okay Ben <laughs> it's a good film just leave me alone <laughs> that's uh, that's what I look hey, for it was her idea to bring you into the mix so you know it's not like she was cornered or anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sam? Have you had a good week? Yeah, not too bad. I watched um, I watched all three of the Planet of the Apes films, yes. the the newer ones from 2011, and I was blown away. I loved them. Mm, they are great. They were great. I love the fact that uh, those are connected to the, like the, the original franchise, the Charlton Heston ones. Mm. So that's what sort of impressed yeah. me the most, and obviously they're just good quality films. Yeah. My favorite part is in that second film where they turn Planet of the Apes, like they explain how it happens and they t- it becomes like a zombie movie, yeah. but with apes instead of zombies. <laughs> it's such a, like, and it, they, I reckon they rip it off really bad in that Last of Us uh, 
PlayStation game, mm. which is the same. It's basically the same thing, except it's they're similar. Like, yeah, definitely yeah. similar. I think that like it's it's almost the third one when I started watching it. I was like, this is basically a Western. Yeah. And then it turns into like the great escape. It's I don't know. It's just every single film is so good. And yeah, there's a virus, which is so real right now. Just like yeah. people with masks on. <laughs> My favorite of the three it's was insane. the first one, the James Franco one. What what one did you like the most? Um, oh, that's a tough one. I love the first one because it gave me so many like goosebump moments. Mm. Like I got chills every time, like that first time Caesar talks. Yeah. And he says, no, oh, I got goosebumps. It was so good. I love, I just love the fact you get David Hewitt running down the street like a pussy. Being chased by yeah. <laughs> yeah, David Hewitt as the neighbor. You're like, oh, how far, like you've got, like that's, that's the natural, you know, progression. Star of a bunch of TV shows, then the neighbor number two. In a row. In, yeah. uh, <laughs> in a feature film, yeah. Although he, what he did. In fairness, like he's he has had the weirdest career. Like I didn't realize. Like I'm a big Stargate Atlantis fan, so that's what I always thought he was from. And then watching Cube again, and you're like, oh my god, he's oh, like Cube, he's yeah. the main guy in Cube. Mm. And then going back even further and watching Pin, and you're like, yep. he's the yep. he's like the beautiful man in Pin. <laughs> like it's uh... oh, I've loved this guy for years. He's been in so many great things. He's recently, um, you know, one of the support actors in Clarice, the Science of the Lambs TV show. Ah, interesting. Mm. Did you go to high school with him as well? <laughs> <laughs> was he in that class with you and, and Blomkamp? Mate, he was our teacher. It was. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in like one of those early episodes of, oh, now I can't remember the name of the show, but Jerry O'Connell, where Jerry O'Connell has superpowers when he's my science he's still... project, no, something like that. My amazing career or something oh, like that yeah yeah because yeah. yeah, his science teacher basically douses him in some magic fluid yeah. that gives him superpowers and he's he's halfway between the chubby kid from stand by me and <laughs> sliders the, the kind of you know the, the ab king that he becomes in sliders <laughs> wow that's a digression what a tangent <laughs> if you've come to this show because you collect lots of movies then um as in actual movies like DVDs and Blu-rays and 4K, and Jarrett's got you covered, and here's what's coming out this week, and I have a funny feeling there's not much. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, there's only three movies coming out on home entertainment this week. They're all coming from Pinnacle Films, and they're all only coming out on DVD. The first of which is 2021, War of the Worlds. It's an asylum-like mockbuster, and it has artwork that directly rips off Independence Day. Then there's the critically acclaimed New Zealand feature, Cousins. And lastly, the Aussie film Moonrock for Monday that had a limited theatrical release earlier this year. So none of these three releases are getting me all that hot. So I'd rather not leave you high and dry. I'll give you a little bit of news. If you're living in Canberra, Melbourne and Sydney and you're devastated that you're not getting to see the August 26th theatrical releases of Don't Breathe 2 and Candyman, well rest assured you're going to see them and see them in optimum quality before the year's out because both of these bad boys are getting 4K Ultra HD releases which is exciting as fuck. First up, Don't Breathe 2 is coming out on 4K Blu-ray and DVD on November 10th, followed by Candyman that's coming out December 1 on 4K Blu-ray and DVD. So that is some news, some consolation for those that aren't going to be able to see either of these films on the big screen. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. It's fair to say that's a pretty underwhelming week of releases. Um, 
for the record, shortest segment ever. <laughs> but not to worry because Jarrett will be back on the show in about 15 to 20 minutes because he's going to be presenting today's interview. So that's something for a change. Save me a lot of work. Um, of course, Jarrett is from Monster Pictures. And speaking of Monster Pictures, Ben, that's where you hail from. And you're even wearing one of their t-shirts right now. Last week, you guys dropped the Monster Fest artwork. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that was pretty good. I did do things before Monster Fe- Monster Pictures and Monster Fest. That's not where I'm from. It's just where I currently. That's where I currently. Well, reside. in the world of radio, when you say someone comes from, that's usually where they are now. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight there. from his mother's womb, Ben. How are you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Glad to be out. <laughs> It's very. It was very dark in there, but I tell you, the food was great. For fuck's sake, are you guys all geared up for November? Sure. Yeah, we hope it happens. <laughs> we hope that uh, you know the roadmap planned by our glorious leader Dan, Dan Andrews <laughs> and, out, and that yeah, uh, it's, it's like we. we I don't want to. I don't want to get too uh, too political and expand on that anymore but uh <laughs> hopefully that we reach that back to the vaccination level that means cinemas can open again and monster fest will happen here in melbourne it'll happen in uh, in perth and um in brisbane and uh adelaide uh, as, as as long as things keep going the way they have been over there uh melbourne and sydney you know, We're fingers crossed. We're you should um, you should celebrate. Uh, you know, when when people get to Monster Fest, you should go right along with the theme of you know vaccinations and just have like syringes ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> just tap them as they walk. <laughs> yeah, last year we were going to do novelty um, face masks, yeah. but then we kind of were like, oh, are these actually like medically sound? Like we don't want to get in trouble for. I don't think half the mask people wear are medically masks. sound. If we if we're <laughs> being realistic. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't want to like you yes. know, if you if you randomly get one from some you know dressmaker in the suburbs, that's fine. If you get it from us and it doesn't work, <laughs> yeah. well, okay, let's uh, let's just do what we're here to do and recommend some movies and try to guess their connections with Stephen Lang. For fuck's sake! All right, Ben, you can go first, mate. <laughs> I can feel your enthusiasm. <laughs> this was a fantastic idea when we came up with it, and now I'm just dreading it. Yeah. I just I just thought it was a really good idea to actually talk about the movies that I wanted to watch this week rather than the movies that I felt yeah, I had to that's watch. that's so funny. I thought the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> I could just choose any movie and yeah. try and link it to someone. Well, the theory, the theory and- is that everything is linked within six degrees, so yeah. you should yeah. be able to do it realistically, but I don't think we're going to succeed today, but, you know. Mm. <laughs> my first film uh i haven't i haven't talked about this guy much on the show uh is directed by this uh a little known director by the name of jim (laughs) winorski came out in 2002 it is the action adventure masterpiece gale force (laughs) and this movie in this movie and you will you will shit yourself i kid you (laughs) actually when you hear the cast of this film okay uh, but it's basically Treat Williams plays a cop uh, who has been uh, suspended without pay after he discovers that the mayor's daughter uh, is responsible for her own kidnapping plot. And, uh, you know, the politics of the situation mean, means that he lo- basically loses his job. So to make ends meet, he agrees to participate in a reality TV show called Treasure Hunt, 
where contestants are sent to this uh, desert, not it's not a desert island, like a tropical island, deserted island, um, and a deserted island. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, desert, desert. I can I can spell. Uh, just, I'm reading my notes and then what am I talking about? A desert island. And we're and, and we're probably completely spaced out to what you're saying because we're trying to make these connections as you talk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm thinking about it as you're saying. That. Uh, so on this island, so as part of the show, they have to they they kind of all the contestants form into two teams, and they have to use like an old treasure map and clues and riddle and solve riddles to find a buried treasure, which turns out to be like a, a treasure chest full of, I think it's supposed to be $50 million or something outrageous like that. No TV show in reality would ever give you $50 million, but <laughs> otherwise what actually happens in this movie would happen. Uh, Cause little do the contestants know that the skeezy host of the show has conspired with a group of mercenaries who are supposed to be playing uh, pirates who were, who are uh, shipped into the island to kind of take down the contestants in air quotes, take them down. But like he conspires with them to really steal the money and uh, kill the, and well, he doesn't realize it. The host doesn't realize it, but they plan to kill all the contestants so they can get away scot-free with all the money. Now the, the, the pirates, the, the pirates are led by, none other than the American ninja himself, Michael Dudikoff. So, so already it's Trent Williams and Michael Dudikoff. In his band of killers, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, William Zabka from Karate Kid uh, is one I've of the mercenaries. All right. The, the... What? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, well, let me just go through the rest of the cast. Okay. Uh, so on the, on, on the, um, and on the contestant side, uh, you've got Tim Thomason, Susan Walters, Cliff DeYoung, Kurt, and Curtis Armstrong. So it is an all-star. If you're into B-movies, these names will all ring a bell to you. Uh, and I have uh, been able to connect all, all of every single one of those cast members I mentioned to Stephen Lang in Six Steps or Less. So all right. hit me with it. <laughs> with a Glenn, I reckon, what have you? Yeah. Okay, so I, this is an easy one, I reckon. So you got William Zabka connected yep. to Martin Crowe from uh, Karate Kid and VFW, yeah, with Stephen Lang. That's excellent. That's a, that's quicker wow. than my. That's less steps than my one. I had I did William Zabka from Karate Kid Two with uh, Yuji Okamoto, <laughs> who plays the bad, who's the bad guy, and he's in Better Off Dead with Diane Franklin, who's in Amityville Two with Ratanya Alda, who's in Last Exit to Brooklyn with Stephen Lang. I don't think it could have been more obvious than Martin Crowe, though. No, totally. Like, you know, well done. I, I mean, I just, I'm enjoying this game now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like real time going through IMDb, just following like different trails down. But by the way, William Zepka shares my birthday. So there's your connection. Oh, I didn't mention. I also didn't mention in Gale Force. So while they're searching for treasure and battling mercenaries, there is also a megastorm that hits (laughs) the island, (laughs) like a massive tornado and a tsunami. So it's all of those things combined. Directed by Jim Wynorski. So obviously the budget was the contents of my wallet right now. And uh, in certain parts it does show, but in other parts, you see what a master director Jim Wynorski is and he makes 
work. I think it sounds a bit far fetched for Jim Wynorski, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! There's no boobs in this. I think I have one, which is very unjust. That is far fetched for Jim Wynorski. What do you got there, Sam? Yeah. Oh wait, no, oh. maybe not. <laughs> Sorry. Now I got, I got to Conair, and then I was like, oh, Steve Buscemi, and then I couldn't remember because I thought if I. I went down a Steve Buscemi. This was very difficult for me because I kept on going down. And then I got into my head. I was like, I kept thinking, oh, that has Kevin Bacon in it. I'm like, we're not doing Kevin Bacon. We're doing Stephen Lang. So I kept on <laughs> getting really confused. But it will work with Con Air because John Cusack is in it. And then you could go the way I did with. Yeah, uh, Hot Tub Time Machine. Yuji Okamoto. Oh. In- and in Sam keeps getting excited and <laughs> disappointed in the all within yeah. the same breath. <laughs> but uh, so Trent Williams, here's my here's my, my, my list of so Trent Williams, you can do it. He's in Flashpoint with Chris Christopherson, who's in Fire Down Below with Stephen Lang. Michael Dudikoff is in Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks, who's in Bonfire of the Vanities with Melanie Griffiths, who's in Working Girl with Sigourney Weaver, who's in Avatar with Stephen Lang. Tim Thomason is in Cherry 2000 with Melanie Griffiths, who's a working girl with Sigourney Weaver, who's an avatar with Stephen Lang. I was, a lot of connecting to Sigourney Weaver here. Yeah. Susan Walters is in uh, Till There Was You with Karen Allen, who's in Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford, who's in, you guessed it, working girl with Sigourney Weaver, who's an avatar with Stephen Lang. And Cliff Young is in Blue Collar with Yafet Koto, who's in Aliens with Sigourney Weaver, uh, who was in Avatar with Stephen Lang. Mate, this is the first time I've seen you so prepared. Yeah, I know. And would you believe that I did it in the five minutes before I joined this team? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, they play the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. We're doing Six Degrees of Stephen Lang. We should have just gone with Sigourney Weaver and played Two Degrees of Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> yeah. It would have been a lot easier. Yeah. If only she was in Lights Out. Uh, <laughs> well, you wouldn't know. It's dark. Sam, I'm, uh, I'm wondering how many degrees you've separated your recommendation from Stephen Lang. Um, I know you're just hanging to, uh, to go. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, mine's not as, as in-depth. But, um, okay, so I, I start. Hang on. No, do you want to tell so us your film first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. My on film. Okay. <laughs> it's no. <laughs> it was Death at a Funeral. Right. Um, which most people hopefully should know. If they don't, then they need to see it. I'm um, talking about the UK one, of course, not the US one, which was subpar, in my opinion, to the Frank Oz directed. Um, and it's just brilliant. It's a, about this guy, uh, Daniel, who is organizing his father's funeral. And he uh, meets this this guy that he's never met before and who is Peter Dinklage. His name is Peter in the movie. And um, he has this secret that threatens his father's legacy, I suppose. And other chaotic things happen and it's just a brilliant film. I love it. It is a great film. I have to say, I, I haven't seen it, but... Mainly because when I read the plot, I was like, "This sounds like four weddings and a funeral." Just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can I can tell you, Ben. Like yeah. you will love it. It is a really balls to wall funny movie. It is hilarious. Okay. Yeah, particularly awesome. is it um Alan Tudyk? Is he in it? Was he? Yeah, yeah. he is yeah. absolutely incredible. He's so good. And I'm just stretching yeah, he, time yeah. here while I try to in my head figure out how <laughs> this is connected. 
<laughs> I haven't been uh, anyway, All right, give uh, us a second here to work this out. Who's the, so who else is in the movie? Who are the, who's, the, who's the main cast of this film? Uh, so there's Matthew McFadden, yep. um, Peter Dinklage, um, Alan Tiddick. Oh, there, there's a lot of British actors. I'll just quickly. So I'm going to assume the connection is one of those because otherwise you'd have it written down. Yes, okay. you are correct. Hmm. Um, Alan Tiddick, Ian McFadden. Ian McFadden was in uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice with uh, with Kira Knightley. Yes. Who was in uh, Love Actually. You and Bremner. Is that Andy the Nyman. Are you throwing a red herring at us, or? No, you these are Bre- people in the movie. I know, but you and Bre- <laughs> but you've, you've already it? told us that one of them is the connection. Well, oh, no. Well, <laughs> it's it's one of the ones I've said so far. But you and just you and Bremner is Spud, yeah, from Train Spotting. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, I'm trying, it's, it's just trying to make sure it's the same person I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah. He's from Train Spotting. What about Alan Tudyk was in Twenty Eight Days with Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock was in a movie called The Proposal. Stephen Lang is in another movie called The Proposal. No, you, I was <laughs> going to say you, you'd be close though. Uh, Alan Tudyk is in Twenty Eight Days with um, with uh, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock is in Miss Congeniality with Michael Caine, who's in Half Moon Street with Sigourney Weaver, who is in <laughs> Stephen Lang. <laughs> All right, so the key here is always just go for the Sigourney connection. Just go, go for, for Sigourney. Yeah. You almost, you almost got it. You were getting really close. All right, give us your connection. Okay, so it's you and Bremner, which, yeah. I said, because I, because, I, okay, I'll just quickly explain. When I first started doing it, I chose the movie, right? And then I worked backwards. But then I thought I had to choose the actor first. So I chose Peter Dinklage from Death at a Funeral. And then I said Ewan Bremner was in that. And then he's in Train Spotting, of course, with Ewan McGregor, who was in Men Who Stare at Goats with Stephen Lang. Good one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, nev- yes. I never would have got there. <laughs> never, ever would have got there. <laughs> ben looks a little bit defeated. <laughs> no, I just... As, it doesn't have Sigourney that. Weaver in it, so yeah, there's no Sigourney <laughs> Weaver in that answer. So that's not yeah. correct. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I like, I'm regretting my decision not to watch men like staring at goats. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, you haven't seen it. No, I kind oh, okay. of, I was all for all of those um, George Clooney movies, and it came yeah. out when I was at the video store, and uh, I was like, I want to watch this properly. I don't want to watch it in the store, and as often happened. When I said that to myself, I just didn't end up watching the film. Yeah. Like, I actually, I didn't mind it. For eight hours a day, most of the time, I would maybe serve two customers in the daytime, so I could really watch whatever I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, as with anything, the minute I'm on something that I actually really want to watch, I'd be flooded yeah. with customers. <laughs> so I, when Magnolia came out, I, I put the back, on, back in five minutes sign on the door and watched that entire three-hour film. <laughs> Oh, well, it's that time of the show where we hand things over to Guillermo uh, for a few minutes. And straight after that, you're going to hear a song that is not only two degrees away from Stephen Lang, but it's a song that really has to be heard to be believed. 
How's it going everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, I'm here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with Jungle Cruise 2. That's right, following a successful run thus far with over $188 million and counting at the box office, which is impressive for a pandemic release, Disney is going ahead with a sequel to the action adventure. Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt will be back on board. Most of the creatives are also returning, including director Jean Colesera and Scream writer Michael Green, who co-wrote the first film. An adaptation of Walt Disney's theme park attraction of the same name, Jungle Cruise was stuck in development hell for around 15 years or so before it finally went ahead with Johnson and Blunt. It's proven to be a hit both financially and with audiences, so no surprise that Disney has a franchise starter here. Get ready for an Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill Netflix comedy. Murphy and Hill have signed up to star in a still untitled comedy that's set to be directed by Kenya Barris. Known for co-writing Girls Trip, co-writing this year's Coming to America 2 and creating comedy series Blackish. Barris also wrote the screenplay with Jonah Hill and the two are also on board as producers. Not a lot of detail to go in as of yet but The Hollywood Reporter says that the film is to be an incisive examination of modern love and family dynamics and how clashing cultures, societal expectations and generational differences shape and affect relationships. Murphy and Hill's characters will reportedly find themselves on opposite sides of this divide. MCU stars Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans will be reuniting in Ghosted, a high-concept romantic action-adventure that's been set up at Apple Studios. The two stars have entered advanced negotiations to lead the film, which will be directed by Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody director Dexter Fletcher. He was brought on to finish that Paul Mercury biopic after Bryan Singer kind of was fired. The screenplay for Ghosted comes from Deadpool Zombieland and Life writers Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese who are also on board to produce. The planned film will be in the vein of 1984 action-adventure Romancing the Stone, starring Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. Apart from that, there's little else to go on regarding plot details. We had a review from our writer Adam Fleet go up, and it's for a documentary called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. You may know David Arquette from films such as Scream and Eight-Legged Freaks and Bone Tomahawk, but he is actually a wrestler and he's put the blood, sweat and tears in to prove it. This documentary follows the actor's pretty incredible journey into this world and his determination to be respected in the game. Adam Fleet really enjoyed this documentary, calling it unique, interesting and genuinely entertaining and one of the year's best documentaries so far, 4 out of 5 stars. The film's going to be available for digital download on September 6th, you can check out our complete review up on Screen Realm. And we have another giveaway on the website right now and it's for a mixed martial arts drama titled Born a Champion, starring Sean Patrick Flannery, Katrina Bowden and Dennis Quaid. This kick-ass film is now available to own on DVD and thanks to Eagle Entertainment Australia we have 10 DVD copies to give away so jump on Screen Realm, head to our win page and enter that giveaway. Thanks so much for having me everyone, hope everyone's doing okay out there. Until next week, I'm out of here.
Wonder if you picked it. That is the uh, the seductive sounds of one Steven Seagal, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the song is called "Girl, It's All Right" from his debut solo album, "Songs from the Crystal Cave." So <laughs> Seagal was in "Fire Down Below," as was Stephen Lang. So there's the connection there. <laughs> you know, that's an easy one. Um, while we're on the topic of Steven Seagal, apparently "Above the Law 2 is still happening. I, I read that last week, Ben. You excited? <laughs> I am excited. Does that create a Does that create a fire down below for you? It does. You know, look, you've totally ruined it for me because, like, I know we had planned later on <laughs> uh, in the in the weekly videos that we were going to talk about a Stephen Lang film each. My one was going to be fire down below. We we, we can still do that. <laughs> We're still going to do it because uh, I don't. I literally don't have anything else pre- uh, prepared. Well, um, yeah. I mean, is this going to be the next phase of like Seagal's weird ass career, like sort of past expiry sequels to better films from the nineties? <laughs> God, I so. imagine like yeah, DTV Under Siege Three would be amazing, or even like Hard to Kill Two. I would even like sequels to some of his shitter later movies. <laughs> like which one? Well, yeah, I knew that. I knew that you, <laughs> you were going to ask this, and I can't for the life of me remember the name. But I watched it on Tubi. Um, they've all not they've all got the same kind of titles. You could really pluck one out of a hat. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, it'd be like Half Past Dead. <laughs> uh, Hardest to kill. <laughs> out for, out for more justice. Movie TV. That's why I don't find it. 
it um <laughs> i'm just i'm just i'm quickly trying I'm to i can hear you tapping away steven seagal i haven't watched steven seagal uh, any of his modern stuff no but those those early years were fantastic yeah glorious yes oh it's actually like literally <laughs> started to play <laughs> yes it's called the dangerous man from 2009 uh and he plays a cop who's wrongfully uh Oh no, he's a special ops guy. He's wrongfully imprisoned. But in the minute, the minute he gets out, he just starts killing gangbangers. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's not a good guy in this film, but it is excellent. Well, let's add that to the list of uh, the the wish list of Steven Seagal movies. It's I was going to say it's excellent slash incredibly shit, and I would love for him to make a sequel to it. <laughs> like he's he's you know he's twenty kilos overweight. He's not at all fast in the martial arts. He, uh, the, the stunts, like the bad guys are ridiculous. The acting is horrible. Everything about this movie is bad, yet it's incredibly fun. And you get like little flecks and... of black spray on hair flying off as he runs. <laughs> and, oh, uh, no. and, <laughs> and uh, what's the name? Beads. It was his, his Zen beads. <laughs> and believe it or not, um, before that, Guillermo actually said a few things. So visit screenround.com to check out what he's all about. Um, but as I said earlier on in the show, Jarrett, um, is the voice behind this week's interview. So he recently spoke with uh, Fetty Alvarez and Roto Se... See, I told you I'd get it wrong. <laughs> Seguayas. <laughs> <laughs> to discuss Don't Breathe 2. And um, he asked us if we'd like to feature it on the show, which naturally we did. Uh, so here's his chat with them all about it, and um, we'll catch you on the other side. First off, congratulations on Don't Breathe 2. It is a rare breeder sequel. Uh, it definitely equals, if not betters, the original. I think it, it ups the ante in terms of uh, suspense and definitely on-screen gore as well. I think fans are going to really, really love it. Now, the thing I like most about the sequel is its approach to storytelling in that you've taken the antagonist of the first film and made him the protagonist in this installment. Now, was that difficult to take the troubling past that we learned to the blind men from the first film and balance that with his role as the protector in this sequel? Um, well, you know, it, it is and it isn't. I, I think his motivation, though, are so clear. I think we have to explain to anybody why someone that considers himself a father figure will go to the end of the world to try to save someone that he sees as as his own child. And he saw her, you know, growing up and, and um, he raised her. So I, I think not hard at all to 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 justify his motivations and everything he does and most most people will go to the end of the world to to save uh, that their their child um then yes we but we felt we, we we need to make sure that we were faithful to the nature of who this person is and uh the reason why we decided to tell the story was to tell this particular story because was because in the first one he did horrible things and he was a villain that got away with it. You know, he got away with it and he survived and, and didn't pay for his crime. So we thought we, should, we needed to put in the story just in one part to see if justice was going to happen, you know, if, see if life if was going to ever pay for the crimes he did or not. But also more importantly as well, or equally important as a, on a character level, to see if he was going to stop being the blind man in a way, because we always, when we talk about him as a blind man, it has nothing to do with his sight. And the first one has to be with the fact that he's just, you know, completely blind to the reality of who he truly is. 
and um, he has his own sense of what's right or wrong. He justifies everything he does in the first movie with, with, you know, very convincing arguments, but he's lying to no one but himself. So we thought, is he gonna, is this character ever gonna come to terms with who he truly is? That, that was the story we need, and we need to put a story, set facts and events in motion that was gonna corner him at some point and face him and, and force him to, to come to terms who he truly is. And, um, you know, you guys saw the movie, so you know if that happens or doesn't. But that, that is what's interesting because, because something like that transcend, transcend villains, heroes, it transcends all that. It, it's about humanity, it's about all of us. The thing that most of us are more afraid of, even if you're not aware, is yourself. It's what's in yourself and who are, who tr who, who are you truly. And, and most of us will be terrified to find out something about ourselves that, you know, that is that is that it is not in line to what we thought we were, who we thought we were. So, it's about a, the character coming to terms who he truly is and daring to face that and um, and accepting the consequences of that. Hopefully, so so that's why we need to make him the protagonist in the story, because and, and you know in a, in a technical level, really uh, Phoenix is the protagonist, but we need to put it at least in a more protagonistic place to allow. The audience to go in that journey with him and see if that was possible. If a villain will ever see the truth about who he truly is. Yeah, it's not. It's not. We never thought of it in terms of who you're rooting rooting for. It's yeah. not about who you root for, or it's not even about what's your view on these characters. Uh, how do you judge these characters? The important thing for us was what Fede was saying, just to witness that journey, just to witness that uh, character undertaking that journey and that arc. That, that's the whole point. And then it's just pose that question and put it out there and let people decide how they feel about it. There, there are fables. They're not, this is not based on a true story. <laughs> this is a fable and, and it represents things that go beyond the facts of, the, of, the, of his story, right? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's terrific to see the depth of character uh, and, and to learn he's sort of this anti-villain type of character and i like the fact that he acknowledges obviously his his flaws and obviously his troubled history and he has a pretty accurate view of himself uh, yeah i think that's terrific now as frequent collaborators with one another how does the creative dynamic actually work when it comes to writing the screenplay well that that's uh, uh we we've done many many different things we've tried different uh strategies uh so we don't have a uh, we wish we had a method <laughs> we don't have a method yeah at this point that we go like okay let's just do what we did last time again it changes <laughs> every time but it, it 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 always starts in the same place it is there's most of our work it has no writing in it i mean it, we just pacing a room one of us is walking, the other one is sitting, and then we switch and we're just talking and talking and talking and talking about it and talking about it. And we do that for a lot, a, a lot more time than we do the writing. Uh, it's the talking, um, what we do the most. We discuss, we discuss, we discuss, we, we, we have a laugh. You know, when we, when we thinking about these things, as bleak as they look on the screen, they sound like comedies when, you know, if my wife always say, if, I, if anybody will see you, think like you're working in comedies because you're laughing every step of the way at this. What about this? What about that? So, but um, th there's a lot of just that process of really, really pushing ourselves to try to, to tell a tale 
that has not been told a million times, which is the issue with Hollywood movies in general, you know, as they might look original a lot of times, but at the core it's the same story over and over and over and over again. So we, we really push, we push ourselves to, to tell stories that there's no way you can roll your eyes to it in the middle and guess how it ends, you know? It, it, mostly because we work with characters that work, that live on, on really dark places and, and shades of gray and, and morally really, uh, you know, questionable places. So it's hard to know who's, who deserves to die and who deserves to live uh, when, you, when you work with characters like that. Um, so it's harder for people to predict where it's gonna go. And also we're trying to intensify the madness uh, when it comes to the pulp aspects of this, uh, this franchise now is really pulpy in many levels for us, right? It, it just, it's supposed to be that, it's supposed to go crazy. So it, it, it pretends to look realistic, but it really, obviously it's kind of a, there's a lot of it out there, right? That's terrific. You guys possibly should think about maybe writing a comedy. I mean, there's definitely humor to be found even in the darkest moments of Don't Breathe 1 and 2. Now, your approach to storytelling and visual style, it's refreshing, but it's discernibly different from other studio films that come out genre-wise. And I was wondering if that's something you would attribute to your Uruguayan backgrounds. Great that you say that way. For us, we, we try to really hard to not just come here and make movies, but also represent in some level. And that means not come here and tell the same stories that our American counterparts will tell. So we really tried really hard not to fit in, <laughs> if that makes any sense. We really try to make sure uh, our culture trans you know, translates into stories. I think every time we make a movie and the trailer comes out, there's some backlash about how they tell this story, why are they tell this story like this? People go crazy it's just because I think Hollywood wants a lot of, I mean, a lot, not everybody. I think the, the, the success of a lot of these movies that we made like uh, show that there's a lot of people that want to see the stories. Um, I think that's a good thing about diversity in storytelling. I think there's a lot of chat about diversity in casting sometimes. and but we, we believe diversity should be also in storytelling and, and the kind of stories I want to tell, the way we want to tell them. And ours uh, happen to be quite different. Even if we don't try to be different, uh, we, they end up being naturally because we just grew up in a different environment, different place in a third world country. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's just completely different uh, sensitivity when it comes to, to tell stories. Thank you so much for your time, guys. All the very best with Don't Breathe 2. I'm sure it's going to be a raging success. And I can't wait to hear more about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. I haven't had a chance to see Don't Breathe 2 yet, but I do like their work. I thought Evil Dead was great, and I love the Don't the first Don't Breathe film. You guys fans? I love Lights Out. I think it's a fantastic <laughs> film. <laughs> I liked Evil Dead. Only because of their attachment am I looking forward to the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Because that is one of the clunkiest, most disjointed canons I've ever seen in horror. But, I mean, they, they have a little bit of credibility to them, so I'm looking forward to what they do with that. Mm. I kind of feel like these guys are doing... They're rising up the same way Alexandra Aja did, you know, about 10 to 15 years ago. Um, hopefully they can sort of stay the course because the same could have been said for... Do you remember Marcus Nispel, the guy that made the first remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre? And then he made Pathfinder and he kind of just sort of fizzled out didn't really go anywhere with you know with his career mm. he, he did though make two movies with Stephen Lang he did Conan the Barbarian and Exeter so we can tie that in nicely <laughs> I was so looking forward to Pathfinder yeah. I was like yes like this is ridiculous like 
Norse versus Indians. This is like, this is going to be awesome. And then you're like, oh, one has steel <laughs> and the other one has stone arrows. No, it's a completely <laughs> one-sided massacre. And you know, this is a bit disappointing. Do you know what I like? Yeah. And then, you know what I liked more than Pathfinder was that one Outlander with Jim Gizzard. Outlander, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was really good. That was, it was like, it was like they could have happened in the same universe. Yeah, totally. It was, uh, yeah. It's a shame that movie didn't land like well because I'd love to see a continuation of that. Yeah. Well, there's a dodgy se- a sequel that Steven Seagal could, could star in. <laughs> That's right. Outlander 2 starring Steven Seagal. Why hasn't Steven Seagal been in one of the In the Name of the King movies? That's the big question. I guess, uh, well, you know, Uwe Boll, the way, have you seen that Uwe Boll doco? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I, I've spoken yeah. about it with people many times. It is it is a fantastic documentary, but in it he reveals like his secret to casting, and that is he will call agents. He won't cast anyone in the film because he gets his financing from from other sources, so he's not cast dependent. But he so he calls all the agents two weeks before he starts shooting and says, you know, who have you got that doesn't have anything to do in two weeks? Because yeah. <laughs> if they have nothing else to do, they'd rather take his piddly money than not do anything at all. Wow. So that's how we got like Jason Statham and Burt Reynolds and stuff like that for In the Name of the King. Like he just cast them last minute. <laughs> that's great. That's great. <laughs> so he could, so, so I guess Steven Seagal is always busy doing his own pieces of shit movies. Which also <laughs> lends us, leads us to believe that Dominic Purcell never has anything to do. No, no, he does not. <laughs> he was in, he was man from Turkey Shoot, the Turkey Shoot remake. <laughs> he has nothing, he has nothing going on. <laughs> Just living on that prison break uh, or that Roy FM, the Roy FM. Just throwing back a little bit there. Thank you to Jared for handing that interview over with us. Uh, we certainly do appreciate it. Made light work for me this week. Um, but now let's hand it over to the Boneheads in turn and uh, we'll be back with more recommendations at the other side of them. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Fetty Alvarez is on. Now I'm going to talk about him for a second because out of the three of us, can you give me them the biggest Evil Dead fan? Sam Raimi being my favorite director. And it's something Chad and I bonded over with when we first met in college. And the thing is, is when I heard they were doing a remake, it really, it didn't bother me, but I was so uninterested. And then I started to see details and then I started to see pictures. And then I started to hear, well, they're going to do it with a woman and then then the lead. And then I... The more and more I heard, the better I liked it. And then I saw the trailer and I was fucking sold. I don't know another way to say it. And then I saw the movie and I got to tell you that and Cabin in the Woods are two of my favorite horror films in the last 10, 15 years. Agreed. Especially that came that came from a, a studio and the Evil Dead winning out. He did what I and he said it in a, in an interview once this isn't you know back in the day they would have just called this a sequel and he's right he set it up to be a sequel it's not really a remake it exists in the same world and i love it it's kind of a kiss-ass thing and i don't mean for it to be but he did what i thought was the perfect example of how you just take something and then he made it his own but it's still extremely to me honoring the original it honors the original yeah. And it goes along with it and it breathes in the same world. Chad. No, and, and mine's, it's a project that he abandoned uh, for, for, for good reasons, but uh, I would have really loved to have seen his take uh, because we're kind of, because I think James is going to pitch a movie that he would like to have seen him do. Uh, I want, I would have really liked to have seen his take on Labyrinth. 
uh, he was going to direct a, a direct follow uh, a sequel to the first one, which again is one of my childhood favorite movies. But uh, sadly, I don't think holds up that well now. <laughs> um, but I would have loved to have seen him take that and turn it into something new. Labyrinth like he has got a lot of holes in it, and people tend to not see it. Yeah, I know, and that's what bothers me about it. Is there's a lot of there's a it's, lot of it's not the Dark Crystal. No, it's fun. Uh, it's but, fun. And we love and, it because we're of a certain age. Yeah, we we not. yeah. And if you watch it as an adult, you're going, "Wow, there's some big holes here that big make no hole. sense." Big hole. Um, but uh, but yeah, I would have loved to have seen his take on it. James, what do you got? I was thinking about movies that I would love to see remade, given what we've seen with Evil Dead, given uh, Don't Breathe, and things like that. And, and the kind of atmosphere those can establish, and and as you said, Joe, that they're not remakes. They're, 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 it's not a remake. It really feels like a sequel. I would love to see him mess around with either the haunting or the Invisible Man. Oh, I know we Invisible got, Man. I know we, oh, we got, got a good one, man, one. Yeah. But I still think that idea because Don't Breathe is so much about not being seen. And that movie has real atmosphere. And so if you could have have a literally unseen character, uh, I, I would love to see uh, the interpretations that could go into either of those because both of them are about seeing or not seeing. And I think that vision and the way uh, the, the films we've seen have played with this idea of vision, it would be a great in my fanboy wish list. There you go. All right, this has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Way too serious. I kind of like the way those boneheads came at this one, talking about abandoned movies and movie proposals. That's good because, let's face it, with, with those guys, those filmmakers, there's, there's, like you said earlier, not much room to wriggle when you want to discuss their, their catalogue. <laughs> so uh, kudos to the Boneheads. That's a cheeky way to work around today's interview. And give those Boneheads some support on social media. They would love to engage with you. So, Ben, you and I are up now for the next round. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go back to 1997. This is a time that I recall fondly but most people won't for the same reasons because this is you know a time when movies like Captain Ron and Cabin Boy were dotting the comedy landscape and I think that's a good thing. So <laughs> absolute classic. Well talking about classics, wait for this one. Um I reckon Joe Pesci and Danny Glover gave Mel Gibson the fuck you and they went gone fishing without him. And that is my recommendation. And Ben is pissed himself <laughs> laughing. You can't hear it, but we can certainly see it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, this one lives up to my reputation for loving dumb comedies. I, I concede that. But I watched this again last week, and you know what? It's charming. I just like it. I think it plays well. Pesci and Glover, look, let me give you the rundown. They play two lifelong friends who dream of finally spending sort of the perfect weekend of fishing together. They do it once a year, and they never succeed, and this is the one that's going to do it for them. Uh, but, of course, it's a comedy of errors, and everything goes wrong. They get caught up in some kind of weird um, murder mystery and treasure hunt, and it's just the dumbest fucking movie ever, but it is so, so energetic and full of laughs, and it's almost like a, a John Hughes movie, sort of great outdoors, Dennis the Menace, that kind of era. And, in fact, this was actually originally written for John Candy and Rick Moranis. So it definitely has that sort of Hughes SCTV type of feel to it. But um, I love it. I'm not going to really go into it much depth. Most people don't find it a very good movie, but I would implore people to go back and watch it again, just with, you know, 
I think those movies that weren't so good back then were filmed a lot better than many movies now, and there's just a charm that sort of grows with them over the years. Or when you don't expect it to be Lethal Weapon 4, <laughs> yeah. then you can go into it. Like it, once, you've, once you've been disappointed by a film, it actually frees you to go back and watch it with zero expectations, so then you can actually enjoy it on its but merit. What struck me the most was just how committed Joe Pesci was to just slapstick comedy. You know, this is Joe Pesci, same guy from Goodfellas, for fuck's sake, you know, and he's playing this dumb... They're both buffoons, so they're both dumb and accident-prone and all that kind of stuff, and just they had so much fun making this, and you can tell, and it's on the screen. Um, bit, of, bit of interesting trivia, though, is that... Um, John G. Avelson, the director of Rocky and Karate Kid, was originally the director and he got fired two weeks into filming. He still collected his like two million bucks for it, but then he was replaced by Christopher Kane and the exact same thing happened on the next Karate Kid where Avelson left and Kane picked up the reins. So, yeah, some trivia yeah. for you. But if you guys want to go ahead and try to guess the connection to Stephen Lang, by all means, should I perhaps um, give you... Oh. I'll, I'll give you some casting that might help a little bit. So you had Christopher Kane as the director. He's the guy that gave us Young Guns and The Principal and Pure Country. Uh, but then some awesome actors in here. You got Carol Kane, Rosanna Arquette, uh, Gary Grubbs, uh, Maury Chaikin, and Willie Nelson as the professional fisherman who they idolize. So feel free to um, to try and connect that to Stephen Lang. I should note I should note that a, um, a stunt woman died while making this movie. So you know. A tragedy made a tragedy made all the more tragic by how poorly this film did. Oh, that's horrible! That woman died making golden fishing. Like, could you imagine? Like, like that's the that's the film you died making. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of stunt people that have died in films die on really crappy movies, like Delta Force oh, Two. Someone died on. And how? In this case, oh. there was a stunt gone wrong when a boat was supposed to go up a ramp and land on other boats, but it sort of flipped up on itself and yeah, killed the stunt people. Oh. Yeah. Horrible. But the shot's still in the film. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, so good. she gets her credit. Yeah, that's, right. that's good. Uh, let's see. So Danny Glover. Well, Danny Glover's in 2012 with John Cusack, <laughs> who's in Better Off Dead, <laughs> uh, with Diane Franklin, who's in Amity Beetle 2, with Ritania Alda, who's in Last Exit to Brooklyn with Stephen Lang. I can tie it all into... Wow. into I've done this one in wow. I've done this one in three degrees. So you're welcome to have another crack. I should also tell you that just... another interesting piece of trivia is that JJ Abrams wrote this one. Mm, I saw that. Which is which is interesting because it doesn't have like a mystery box. Well you look like, at that time in his career, he'd written stuff like Taking Care of Business and Regarding Henry and Forever Young. So he was definitely a studio writer before he sort of came into his own. Mm. <laughs> I'm still working on it. That's all right. Surely Stephen Lang's done something with Bill Murray. Bill, Bill Murray? <laughs> you yeah. think that Stephen Lang would have done something with uh, with Danny Glover or Joe Pesci? Steve Buscemi? I found Steve Buscemi again. I, I reckon we could do Six Degrees of Steve Buscemi. <laughs> All new game. I have no idea. That's I'm okay. Not, yeah. Hang on. No. Do you want me to give you my first degree? Ooh. Uh, is he? Could it be? Is it? Um, oh, it's uh, what's his name in that one with that person? Oh, hang on, we have a promo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I went with. I feel like um, I'm trying to link everyone to Avatar. I went with Christopher Kane, yeah. who directed it, and he directed the Amazing Panda Adventure, which Stephen Lang was in. Oh. yeah. Well, that's a. I think that's that's, that's two. Two. It is two. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, Ben, take it away. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I only like interrupting you guys when you talk. I don't really want to talk myself. Uh, I uh, I I watched this movie a couple of weeks ago, and then I watched it again this week because it is so good. It is a new film uh, from 2020 called Zola. Have you guys seen Zola? I have not. No. It is. It's an. It's this. It's a magical film, and it's based on a Twitter thread <laughs> by this uh, stripper called Isaiah Zola King, uh, and it then became a Rolling Stone article uh, called Zola Tells All, the real story behind the greatest stripper saga ever tweeted. I do remember reading about it now that you say that, because I just thought of Showgirl. Yeah, it is. Well, it's it's better than Showgirl. Oh, wow. It's not, as, fighting words. not, as, it's not as fantastical <laughs> as uh, Showgirl's. But it is pretty amazing. It stars um, Taylor Page and Riley Keough. And Taylor Page is like this, is a waitress at a Hooters type restaurant where she meets Riley Keough and they instantly bond over being strippers. Like they, you know, they, they also strip to make extra cash. And Riley Keough invites Taylor Page to, um, to take a road trip there. I think they're in California, I think, to take this road trip down to Miami where a friend of Riley Keough's once worked at this strip club and made a, a boatload of money this in one night. So uh, Taylor Page agrees to it and they go together. And what she doesn't realize is that along for the ride is Riley Keough's um, dipshit boyfriend and her, uh, what, as it turns out, her pimp. <laughs> and her pimp is played, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's the... Um, He's one of the main cast members of Fear the Walking Dead. He's the the kind of the black guy who um, is a bit of a con man in in Fear of the Walking Dead. One of the main characters, mm-hmm. and he's great. He's phenomenal. Like alter, like switching between this kind of congenial party guy and this scum of the earth, rough as guts, you know, gangster killing pimp. Um, and so, yeah, so she gets there and she thinks they're just dancing. And even the strip club they go to, it's a, they, the, they have to wear pasties. Like it's not full nude. And she's completely freaked. Like she's like, you know, I'm a full nude kind of girl. Like, what is this? <laughs> pasties? But they, they yeah. <laughs> how, are we, how are we supposed to make money with pasties? But they, they do the thing and it goes really well. And then it's only after that, that she realizes then uh, uh, the, the, the pimp sets them up in a hotel room and starts sending Johns over. <laughs> and uh and then the night just kind of it goes nuts it's kind of like an after hours type almost uh you know just mythical kind of road trip and all this weird shit happens but it is it is just ridiculously excellent and highly recommended okay so now we've got to connect that with Stephen lang but by the way you you don't have to have your pasties on mate you can take them off um <laughs> i'm a pasties on kind of gal all the time. Okay. <laughs> I don't even like to look at my own nipples in the shower. <laughs> well, you can take that merkin <laughs> off your face. All right. <laughs> my favorite part of that was when it was the all right, right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to connect this one at all. I've I've gotten to White House Down, James Woods, 
surely yeah. he's worked with James Woods. Hmm. I did not. I did not go the. Oh, just a, like a, as a just as a further kicker, Taylor Page, who is she's the the lead in this. She's the the um, uh, Zola character, and she is going to appear in the new Toxic Avenger movie. Ooh. Oh, wow. As a little bump to you, but I can connect both of them for you. Um, I can give you my first connections to both, if, if that helps. Yes. Okay. So Riley Keough was in Magic Mike with Matthew McConaughey. And Taylor Page was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Viola Davis. Yep. Okay. Viola Davis. How do we they both, I will say they both connect uh, to Avatar. In some way or another, they both, not, they, they, both uh, they both lead to it. And I've mentioned I've mentioned one before. Fuck. But only one only one goes through Sigourney Weaver. There's actually another. I'm sure over the years yeah. many have gone through Sigourney Weaver. Um... What are you talking about? She was the daughter of a very powerful executive. She didn't need to sleep sleep her way to the top. She was born into the I top. I wasn't. I was not <laughs> implying that, mate. She was. The... <laughs> Hmm. No, I I got nothing. Oh, I don't know. Is there a, I feel like it's going to take me too long to. Is there a Dave Franco connection? Uh, I don't know, but there is a. If you can tie it, there's a. Um. Oh, now I can't think of his name. Who's the guy from that '70s show? That's a Barry. Uh, Ashton Kutcher. Uh, Ashton Kutcher. There isn't. There's a way you can do it with Ashton Kutcher. If you can. Uh, if Dave Franco connects to Ashton Kutcher somehow. But uh, just let me know if you want me to tell you. I'm more than... Yeah, please. All right. So Riley Keough. <laughs> I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. <laughs> well, the, no show, the show would go too long if we just sat here for hours. And I don't want to have to edit. Yeah. Uh, so it's Riley Keough was in Magic Mike with Matthew McConaughey, who's in U571 with Mr. Harvey Keitel, who's in Blue Collar with Yafet Kono, who was in Alien with Sigourney Weaver, who is in Avatar. <laughs> it's, it's the Sigourney fucking Sigourney Weaver. Weaver. <laughs> Taylor, and this is the and this is the other one. Uh, Taylor Page is in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Viola Davis, who's in Widows with Michelle Rodriguez, who's in Avatar with Stephen Lang. Yes, well done. So Avatar and Sigourney Weaver are his two like. I just connected everything to. I was like, who? How they work? Avatar had to be a, like a, a pivotal sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, part of yeah. the whole thing no, because you know that's where most people know him from. Mm. Biggest thing anyway. Oh, all right, well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe is still on leave, uh, not for much longer though, but here's a really strange extract from her podcast, uh, Snorts and All. We used to watch this together quite yep. a lot, never really, never all the way through, but our favourite part was when the nun was singing, How do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? Do you know that part? Yes. Um, we used to think it's really funny because we used to change the lyrics to How do you hold a booby in oh your hand? Hey, as a 10-year-old, that's really fucking funny. <laughs> and I remember Crawfy and I singing it like that and it was just hilarious. Okay. And I love that she called me the other day and I answered the phone and I said, Hey, Crawfy. And she was wetting herself laughing absolutely wetting herself laughing i do remember you telling me this yeah because she was listening to the forrest gump episode um in which we talked about my husband being a scream spewer (laughs) (laughs) and uh her family had just gone through gastro and apparently her fiance is a scream spewer also (laughs) 
And so Two she rang to tell me that she was almost peeing her pants because <laughs> she was laughing so hard. She said, I was driving to the supermarket and I almost had to pull over because my eyes were full of tears and I couldn't see. <laughs> so that makes me feel really good. I love that. Uh, I just don't spew. It's no, very, very as, rare that I spew. As we worked out, we're pooers, not spewers. <laughs> we should make that the new motto. Richie girls, pooers, pooers not spewers. spewers. <laughs> I think that's a good catchphrase. <laughs> it's really good. We should have a whole other podcast just dedicated to that one. Oh, funny. Pooers, not spewers. <laughs> should we make that Chloe's <laughs> intro line from now on? <laughs> I want to make that. I've now I now know what to uh, write on my tombstone when I die. <laughs> Here lies Ben Helwig, a pooer, not a spewer. So that, I, had, I guess that means you're not a scream spewer. Definitely not a scream spewer. I had I don't know where it came from, but I, from from a young age I remember thinking there's no way I could puke and shit at the same time. Like, it's just not something that my body would be capable of. So if I ever felt like I had to throw up, which I absolutely hated, I would always try and take a shit. <laughs> I, I can't do them both. And at least that gives me a respite from the from feeling like I have to puke. And then, like, this COVID thing is really alarming. Like, when, they, when COVID first hit and they were talking about the symptoms and they're like, oh, there's people puking and spewing. Oh, and sometimes at the same time, I was like, I didn't think that was possible. Like, it totally... <laughs> It ruined my whole self-medicating lifestyle. I didn't think I didn't think the body could physically do it. Like yeah. surely the body's like it knows better, and it's like one at a time. It's like a Chinese finger trap, isn't it? It's like yeah. a Chinese finger trap where both ends, you know, doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I figured it was like <laughs> wow, what an analogy. I don't want to go there. It's a bit gross, but I'm going. I'm going to because I find it <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> It's a bit like it's a bit like ejaculating and urinating. You you can't do them at the same time. Your body just goes no. It's one or the other. It doesn't matter how bad you have to do one. If you're doing the other, it's not going to happen. I feel like the body's like it does that, right? Surely it's that's just a built-in thing. Yeah, like and why does it like why does it need to come out of your mouth if it's coming out of the backside? Like it makes sense to me. They're connected. It's all connected, right? I guess this is where we thank Chloe for the content. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe does host Movie Night with the Richie Girls with her mum, Kate, so go and give that a listen. And uh, you can also catch Chloe every Wednesday night on the Up Late series with me at 10.30. It's on our social media platforms. Sam, um, it's the two of us now. Would you like to take it away? I will go first with my, cho- my choice was uh, Knives Out, which is okay. directed by Ryan Johnson course who did brick and looper and star wars um but we don't talk about that one and uh basically it's like an agatha christie-esque story mystery uh with a bit of a twist that you you get answers very quickly and a mansion full of this family basically who were there just I think it was just for like a, a catch-up or something. Oh no, it was his it was his birthday. Anyway. Um yeah, me, you're the one who's seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't 
write down all the details and then I go off on tangents. It's really bad. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, I get it from my mum. So the throm- yeah, Thromby family um, and their father dies or was murdered. And um, anyway, so um, it's, that, it's a mystery around that. Um, right. And Christopher Plummer plays, plays Thromby. And we've got Daniel Craig. We have uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Who else is there? I've got I've got six degrees. Already. Six degrees. Yeah, but you can keep talking if you want to. It's uh, I'm trying to think of the other people who are in it. Um, it's good to see Sam is prepared as well as you are, Ben. <laughs> some some weeks I over prepare, and then other weeks I under prepare, and I never know when things are going to happen. It's so chaotic. But yes. I've got it through. I don't know how many steps, but I've got it. Okay. Okay. Who wants to, do you want me to go first? I came to six steps. I got Ryan Johnson directed Star Wars. JJ Abrahams is connected to that. He directed Gone Fishing. Christopher Kane, Amazing Panda Adventure. Stephen Lang. Nice. Right. That wasn't what I got. So I, 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 I I did, that's off the back end of my, my two degrees. So the JJ Abrahams link is a bit, uh, can you? Bullshit. No, it's not. He directed Star Wars. He directed a Star Wars. He didn't direct the one that Rian Johnson directed. He produced it though. Yeah. Well, how how deep do you want to go? Like, <laughs> oh, now we re- we're just going to rewrite the rules. Well, it was. I always thought I thought it was supposed to be actors, and I was willing to let it go to directors. But now you want to get into best friend's roommate in college. <laughs> We've been doing films as well. Like, come on. Well, my way, which I think is is more steps than yours, so I think you win. Is uh, Rian Johnson directed Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was in, and I can't remember which Batman movie with Michael Caine, who was in Half Moon Street with Sigourney Weaver, who was in Avatar with Steve. <laughs> she needs to be stricken from this game. Yeah, she's like she's the she's the deal breaker. <laughs> well, I'm sure um, Ryan Johnson's been through Sigourney Weaver, so there's my connection. <laughs> Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you say that, then it's totally yeah. yeah. You're totally okay. allowed. To know. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go back to one. I think I think you'd really like this film, Ben. It's 1999. It's a great film from John Sayles, um, and John Sayles is, of course, one of the greatest American writers. He started off making movies like The Howling and Piranha and Alligator, and then eventually sort of became one of those established, award-winning type of filmmakers who made Mate One and Lone Star and Secret of Rowan Inish, amongst others. But my film, 1999, he made Limbo, which I think oh, is his most fantastic. underrated. Yeah, it's his most underrated film. And it's one of the most haunting dramas. It sort of bleeds into a, a murder mystery thriller. It's just, and it's got such a foreboding kind of atmosphere to it. And I think it's a type of movie where the tone and the atmosphere is far more affecting than the story itself. Like there's just something really sinister going on. And it's one of those movies that has the real, it's got a real asshole ending. And I know yeah. when, when John Sayles, John Sayles came, he was actually came to Melbourne and did like a and a screening of it, I think at the coma or something. And somebody asked him about the ending and he's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, what happened? That's the thing though. I remember loving the film. And then when the ending came along, which we're not going to tell for people because this is a recommendation and you should go and look for it. Uh, but, but I watched it and the ending is what sold me. I'm like, that is just incredibly haunting. Like it's just, yeah. 
beautiful. Yeah. But let me give the synopsis. It's um, David Strathen plays a guy living reclusively in a small sort of Alaskan town, and he's sort of living with the burden of guilt over an accident that happened many years ago with several people dying. But he meets a, a lounge singer played by Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, and they sort of begin to fall in love, and, and he starts to feel happiness for the first time. And it's sort of got that sweet, mushy stuff going on. But then things take a really sinister turn when his half-brother rocks up and his half brother's played by Casey Size Mesco. Is that how you pronounce it, Ben? Uh yeah, I can never I've I've never tried to pronounce either him or his sisters. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but he he rocks up on the scene asking for help and suddenly their lives are just sort of flipped upside down when they witness a murder and and go on the run from killers and it's just um it is just wonderful stuff and the less i say about it that that's enough um the better experience it'll be for anyone who wants to see it chris christopherson is also in it and um there is a Stephen lang connection in the cast but not uh not the Stephen lang so how's that oh, it has a Stephen lang in it it's got a Stephen Lang in it. Like I've, I've yeah. connected it. You've, you've, I made, I mentioned it earlier, and you've already, you've just mentioned it now. So I've connected it with, with one step. Well, oh, go for it. Two. But uh, if you I think want, you might have it. Do you want to think about it for a second, Sam, before I spoil it? No, that's all right. You go. <laughs> I'm still looking. I feel like Chris Christopherson must be the 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 guy. But well, yeah, well, Chris nah. Christopherson. Chris Christopherson is in Fire Down Below with Stephen Lang. Oh wow, that's that's even better than mine. That's the same amount as mine. Same amount of separation as me. Wow. Actually, no, it's not. That's one extra. I had um, Mary Elizabeth Mester Antonio, The Abyss, James Cameron, Avatar. Uh, Avatar strikes. Well again. done, Ben. Well done, Ben. There we go. I, you know, that was the. I forgot. Like his his part is so good, and the part that you you didn't mention in the in the synopsis, which is not a, a spoiler at all, is that Mary Elizabeth Mester Antonio has a daughter that also kind of starts to fall in love with David Strathen because he's just so damn adorable in the film. <laughs> he's, just a, yes. he's just like a lovely, calm, patient man. Uh, and he's just so much cooler than everyone else in that town. Sam, if you haven't seen, um, if you haven't seen this film, check yeah. it out and review it on your website because it's fantastic. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. It's like there's, there's, there's that kind of holy, like, Trinity, like like all directors, like John Sayles had this string of fantastic movies. It's like Matewan, Passion Fish, Limbo. Mm -hmm. There's there's one more that I'm forgetting that was Lone Star. Lone Star was Lone Star was great, but Lone Star was ruined for me uh, in high school by someone out of revenge because I constantly (laughs) ruined uh, the Late Show (laughs) jokes from the Late Show. Like I just, I'd watch the late show and come to school the next day and just be start telling all the jokes. And they'd be like, I taped it. I'm like, well, yeah, that's your problem, man. <laughs> and so then he spitefully ruined Lone Star for me. So I was never really able this to. This was like, the, this uh, is like Twitter before Twitter existed. Yeah. Yeah. Ben would rock up to school and say, so, so Joan Kerner came out and sang, <laughs> I love rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. You asshole. Dickhead. 100%. That's what I would do. <laughs> Ivan Reitman, genius. He's a genius. <laughs> All right, we need to dedicate a show to the, the late show. <laughs> get, get Tony Martin on. Just do shit scared. Shit scared. Oh, God, how good shit scared. Anyway, how about Adam? 
Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week I am throwing at you Public Enemies, directed by Michael Mann. Now, this film has one major problem, and that is that it's directed by Michael Mann. And why is that a problem? Because when Michael Mann's name is on a film, you assume that it is going to be <laughs> basically the best expression that you've ever seen of whatever's going on in this story. And that's problematic because this is a movie about two guys pitted in a dance to the death on either side of the Law. And Michael Mann's already done that. He did that in a movie called Heat, which is the best expression of that concept that we've ever seen. So there is a little bit of diminishing returns here, but these are totally different kettles of fish. You got Johnny Depp here as John Dillinger, a role that he is straight up born to play. And he's got this sneaky charisma here as this playboy bank robber that just, it kind of hurts because you're like, Depp was so good, you know, and now he's just tabloid fodder and I don't know if he'll ever get back. But you know, this movie is just over 10 years old and when he is in the hands of a master filmmaker like Mann, I mean, this guy, you know, is just so magnetic. And it's such a testament to his talent that he is surrounded he here by incredible character actors, but Depp is the leader. He is numero uno in this movie. He gets great support here from Christian Bale, who is playing an uptight, stoic G-man in uh, Melvin Purvis, the man that's tasked with taking him down. And they do have a good interplay between the two. Nothing as good as Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, but it's still good. Man is a director of meticulous details, and he's got this other thing that when you put a gun in any of his characters' hands, you know, no one does gunplay like Michael Mann. And here, even though he's doing his weird visual thing where he changed to digital, you know, cinematography, which is kind of, it's jarring because everything's 1930s legit, but sometimes it looks like a, the high-end like YouTube clip, but the gunplay in this still stings, it slaps. You know, like, I mean, everyone still goes back and counts Heat as the best shootout ever. The gunplay in Collateral is wild, and the gunplay in Public Enemies is sick. So you should definitely go back and check it out just for that. So I'm mainly just selling this to you, saying, look, you've seen Heat a thousand times. You probably even listened to the podcast that breaks Heat down minute by minute, which does exist and you should check out. Give some love to some of the other films in Michael Mann's canon. Go back and check out Public Enemies. It is on Netflix right now, so it's really easy to find. Some really cool details, great depth performance, definitely worth your time. Adam just has a way of talking about movies. I mean, I honestly, he does it unscripted, and I don't know how he does it. I just throw him a topic, and I could throw him a topic, and within 10 minutes, he'll have the segment to me, and he just does it like that. So I think it's pretty impressive. Um, can you pick the number of degrees Public Enemies is from Stephen Lang? That's the Johnny Depp Public Enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen Lang's in it. <laughs> oh. Uh, he, he, he really put a lot of thought into that one. I saw that. Uh, I saw it theatrically, <laughs> and I was not a big fan of it. And I haven't gone back and watched it. No, since. me neither. Well, Adam, Adam just likened it to Heat. So yeah, oh. there you go. I I liked it. Didn't love it, but um. Anyway, if you um if you haven't visited his Facebook page yet, then do it. Adam's just seen. Uh, show him some love uh, as soon as this show's finished. And um, all right, Ben, Sam, we're almost done. We are going to continue some Stephen Lang conversation tomorrow night on our social media video. So looking forward to that. And uh, to summarize today's episode, um, let's do or don't do six degrees again. What would you? <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> it's so it's so fun actually. Like thinking of the movie that you're going to choose. But right. once we're here, it's like, 
it's it takes me so long to like try and figure it out. You know, I reckon we do it again, but with obviously another actor. So we're Weaver. certainly going to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need to someone that's not Stephen Lang who just makes a lot of dreck in between those few good ones. <laughs> but sometimes it's the dreck that uh, helps you. That binds. <laughs> it is the dreck that binds us. <laughs> He's, he's, like he made a what's her name movie? Uh, oh, now I can't remember her name either. She got fired from um, from that from the Star Wars, the Boba Fett TV series for being. Uh, oh yes, the um, the Carla is it the Carla chick? Is it the the MMA fighter? Yeah. Oh, Cara Dune. That's it. Uh, is that it? Uh, Cara Dune's her name in the Mandalorian. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She's the one that's um that Ben Shapiro picked up and has put her in a new film. Yep, that's the uh the yeah. reaction that the world had. Gina Carano. <laughs> yeah, Gina Carano, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for offering me a handy place to dust off the cricket sound effect. Stephen <laughs> <laughs> Blank played her dad in uh that was it in the blood? Yes, I saw I that in his the second film, like after she kind of broke with uh, Steven Soderbergh um, Haywire, and then was in Fast and Furious and mm. stuff, then she did In the Blood, which was which was such a weird film because in it, like she's married to Cam Giganay, Giganay, from Welcome from to Never, My World <laughs> from Never Back Down. Like she's married to him, and then he gets he gets caught by organ harvesters. And she has to fight her way while they're on their honeymoon. And she has to fight her way through like this South American crime cartel to get him back. But he doesn't have a fight scene at all. And yet he is the main martial arts villain in Never Back Down. You're like such odd casting to cast yeah. someone who can, you know, kick ass in a movie where he, he spends his entire time with a bandage uh, <laughs> that's covering his missing like liver or whatever it is they've tried to take from him. <laughs> He's like, oh. What a such a weird. Maybe he said, "I'll do the movie, but I don't want to do anything." I don't want to do any stunts. Yeah, yeah. I I liked being in uh, in cabaret where I was just a bartender, and that's <laughs> that's what I want to do from now on. Hey Sam, let's uh, give your website a plug. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at happyandtragic.com and yeah. all the social links are there. And yeah, Fantastic. check it out. And Thank you. Awesome. And Ben, what's your address so people can donate clothes? <laughs> I'm at I'm at Monster Pictures, Ben. So <laughs> and, uh, and all their all their clothes uh, in a husky to uh, Monster Pictures, and uh, I'll get them. In addition to us three, our team is made up of Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, Chloe, Joe, Chad, and James, and of course, Tia behind the scenes. Thanks to each and every one of them. And thanks again, Sam. Hopefully we can have you back on the show in a few weeks' time. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. And Ben, always a pleasure, mate. Yes. As I said earlier, Stephen Lang was in a movie called The Proposal, but not The Proposal with Sandra Bullock, and we've got a song from that version. So <laughs> just because you love Sandra Bullock, mate, I'm going with this one. Love Sandra Bullock. Was he in The Blind Side? Was that the one? The... Yeah, he was the, uh, he was the, the football guy. <laughs> yeah, he was the coach. That's right. He did a, he did a Downey Jr. Yeah. <laughs> and an Eddie Murphy all in one. <laughs> This song is Find My Way by the Gabe Dixon Band. Uh, Have a bloody good week, everyone, and we'll see you on the socials. (laughs) 